You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. We learned last time about Samuel's miraculous birth and the family that he came from, right? With Elkanah and Hannah and Peninnah, who was the persecutor, and how God answered Hannah's plea for a child. And God answered her prayer, and she gave birth to Samuel. And so now Samuel, probably about age two, has come into the the tabernacle and amongst the priests to be raised by them, to be reared by them, to be proper. And uh, now we're going to get a description of the family that he has kind of interjected into. And so we get to verse 12. It says, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord Notice there the correlation between corruption and not knowing the Lord. You see, the Lord is good. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is love. The Lord is powerful. He's amazing. And to not know him is to be separated from goodness, from love. And it has a corrupting influence. And so it is our aim as Christians, to know him more and more and more. To know him is to be like him. And then we want to make him known to others so that they can experience the joy of salvation and the joy of Christian living, of biblical living, of being like Christ. But these sons of Eli, they were corrupt and they didn't know the Lord. They didn't know him relationally. You see, they were kind of in line to succeed Eli as priest, and that would be passed on to them if they make it, and they won't. But it would be passed on to them, but Eli couldn't pass on his personal relationship with God onto them. You know, as we interact with our grandchildren and our children and our relatives and our friends and our loved ones, we can tell them about Jesus. We can point them in the right direction. We could be living examples, but ultimately it's their choice what they're going to do with that. And so here the sons of Eli are corrupt and they don't know the Lord, even though they're in these priestly positions. Verse 13, and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. So the people would come for the feasts or to just sacrifice for their sins or to offer a voluntary peace offering to the Lord, a sacrifice to the Lord of fellowship and peace. And then as they would come with their sacrifice, especially that peace sacrifice, 
that that was to be fellowship with God and fellowship with one another as they would give that portion to the Lord, that best portion to the Lord, the fatty part. You know what I mean if you like a good ribeye, nice marbled ribeye, the fatty portion. Yeah. Uh, And so they would give that to the Lord. They were to give that to the Lord, the best, and they were to give it first. And then there was a portion that they would give to the priest. And and the Bible says it was the breast and the the right shoulder. Specifically, those were the pieces that were to be given, the breast to the high priest and the right shoulder to the other priests. And that was their portion. And then what remained was to go to the person giving the sacrifice who would then eat it and have fellowship with God. But they had developed some custom that wasn't biblical, and isn't that just the tendency of man to develop customs and rituals that just aren't biblical and that mostly serve man and serve those in power? And so they come up with this custom where they're going to take this three-pronged flesh hook, and these guys are fleshy guys, (laughs) and they want to just get flesh. And so they go in and they're hoping to get something other than what God has given them. Maybe something a little better, you know, the prime cut and, uh, and so forth. So that was the, the custom there. Now in verse 15, it says, also before they burn the fat. Remember we mentioned that the, the fat was the fatty part. The good part was to go to the Lord and to be his portion, him first, him best. The priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. Now, why would they want raw meat? Well, maybe it's the same reason that you and I sometimes want raw meat, so that we can cook it the way we want to. Sometimes we like to boil it. Sometimes we like to barbecue it, right? There's lots of different ways to cook it, and it's nice to have those tasties. Now, verse 16, and if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. This is like kind of trying to tell the police officer what about the law (laughs) or the judge, you know, the judge is saying, you know, sentencing someone unfairly and you're like, yeah, um, you're not allowed to do that. (laughs) That's not according to the law. And Here the people would say, look, we came to sacrifice. We know the scriptures and we know that we're supposed to give unto the Lord the fatty portion and first. So first let us do that and then you can have what you'd like. And here's how they would respond in the middle of verse 16. He would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. And so these priests, through their servants, would use their powerful position to extort from God the portion that belonged to him and to extort from the people as they were supposed to be coming and and sacrificing with joy and with thanksgiving and having fellowship with God and each other. And then here comes party pooper with his flesh hook messing everything up. And so in verse 17, it says, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred 
the offering of the Lord. Instead of coming with joy and with thanksgiving, they were like, oh man, we gotta go make this sacrifice and the priest's servant's gonna come with his flesh hook and rip off the good portions and we're not even gonna be able to do it right. This stinks. And that was not well-pleasing to the Lord at all. And God help us today, you know. God help this sanctuary to be a place where you could come and have the joy of the Lord and not think, oh, man, the leadership at Calvary Anaheim, they're a bunch of rotten scoundrels and look what they're doing and this and that. God, please, let that not be so. Please come to me and talk to me if you ever start feeling that way. And having, you know, bitterness about your, your offerings of praise to the Lord, your offerings in the agape box to the Lord, it's okay to question these things, friends, you know, and to find out what's going on. It's okay because it is our responsibility and it is, you know, to extend out to other churches and things and their leadership. You know, teachers are held more accountable. The Bible teaches that. And so we have to be circumspect about these things. And so these guys were really blowing it big. They were to be the representatives of God on earth as the priests. They were to be ushering people into the presence of God. They were to be officiating the, uh, the ceremonies which symbolize the coming of Jesus Christ and how sinful people can come before a righteous God. That's what they were to be about, looking for the, to the spiritual needs of the people but instead, they were fleshing out. They were all about the materialism. They were all about what they could get from the people rather than what they could give. Now, in contrast, we see Samuel. And Samuel is such a beautiful light that the Lord placed here in the midst of a dark time. Remember, this is still the time of the judges. There was no king in the land, and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And we're seeing that continue with Eli and his sons. But Samuel, and there it is, but Samuel. Oh, praise God for Samuel. He's like Jesus Christ coming into the darkness, you know, in this section of Scripture. There's no perfect type of Christ, but that's why we call him a type. And so here he's coming into the darkness through a miraculous birth. It says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod, which was a priestly garment. Even as a child. Our kids, our grandkids, they're not too young to serve the Lord, to choose the Lord. And so let's make sure we're sharing the gospel, that we're teaching our kids, we're teaching our grandkids. As we go along, as we walk in the way, as we lie down, it's time for bed, let's pray, let's say our prayers, let's talk about God, let's include him in all parts and not think, oh, they're too young, they won't get it. The gospel's pretty simple, friends. <laughs> and it's pretty young that we can figure out that we're sinners and we need a savior. 
Praise the Lord. So Samuel here as a young child wearing the linen ephod, doing priestly duties. Verse 19, probably being kicked around and bossed around by Hophni and Phinehas, but I don't know. I just suspect. Verse 19, moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Again, we see the devotion of Hannah and Elkanah and their, their consecration of themselves to the Lord, and, the, and we're reminded of the consecration of Samuel to the service of the Lord. He belongs to you, God. And there sure is a difference here between someone who has consecrated their life to God and someone who doesn't even know God. And we see that contrast here in this section of uh, Scripture. And so she was still his mother. She always saw herself as his mother. She did not give him up for adoption per se, but he was, she, she granted him to the Lord. Remember the words used in the, in the, uh, that we studied last week? He was lent to the Lord. And yes, he belonged to the Lord. All of our children belong to the Lord. But there's a difference here between adoption where you're no longer the mother and you give it up and someone else becomes the mother or the father. So verse 20, and Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, the Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. Then they would go to their own home. And so they were blessed by Eli. Verse 21, and the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. She had five more kids. This is the reward of godly sacrifice. I've heard many stories of, you know, couples that, you know, couldn't have kids, were having a difficult time, but then they prayed and they waited on the Lord and God opened up their womb and then they had more kids. Or they adopted a child, they chose to adopt and, and God was like, There's, yes, that's what I wanted you to do. Adopt, bless this child. And then God gave them their own biological children <laughs> after they adopted somebody. God knows he's the one who closes and opens the womb for his designs and for his purposes. And so the Lord visited Hannah and she was rewarded with this wonderful quiver of children. You know, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive him. And he actually challenges us to try. In the book of Malachi chapter 3, you can check it out. He challenges. He says, see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you can't even contain. <laughs> I love that. And in Luke 6, 38, you know what? I don't think I made those slides. Never mind. It won't be up here today. I'll read it to you. Verse 6, 38 says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom. And I think of, of Samuel being put into her bosom and then all these children. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You use a small measuring cup, you'll get a small measuring cup back. You use a big measuring cup, you get a big measuring cup back. And, and that's what I've experienced in my own life just giving to the Lord of my time, of my resources, giving to the Lord. He gives back. You can't outgive him. One person put it this way, he will never be debtor to anyone. 
if you start to think, oh, I'm, I'm giving the Lord so much, he owes me. <laughs> he doesn't owe you, number one. He sent his son Jesus, and that's enough. But secondly, you just watch and see as you give with the right motive and the right heart and faith, and he will give back. He's amazing. It says, meanwhile, verse 20, middle of verse 21, meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. He's maturing. He's under God's guidance and nurturing. He's under God's attentive eye. But notice that it says he grew before the Lord. God is taking special note of Samuel and raising him up for a special purpose, a special purpose. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Ouch. Further detail with Hophni and Phinehas and their behavior. They're extorting from the people, making them miserable to come and sacrifice and spend time with God. And now we find out that they're taking advantage of their powerful and popular position as priests and leaders in the community to take advantage of the young women or older women, just women. And God deplores this. And sadly, we see this, right? Reports of this now and again, way too often than we'd like, of a spiritual leader who fell, who committed adultery, who was found out that they were leading a lascivious lifestyle in secret. And it grieves our heart and it causes the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And you know, people that fall into that, there's still grace there for them. There's still grace there's, there's still the blood of Jesus Christ that covers their sin as they would confess and repent. But the damage is horrific. And the larger the ministry, the bigger the damage. And the people that really get hurt the most by it, other than the immediate family members involved in the situation, but the people that get hurt the most are the people that were looking to the person rather than to God. Because they see the person and they begin to see them as this, you know, oh, they're the, they represent the, the God in my life. And they put them so high up on a, on a pedestal that when they fall, it's crushing to them, you know? And so it's important for us to always look past the person to the Lord, to the Lord. And when someone falls, our heart breaks but we stand strong in the Lord because we're not looking to the person, but we're looking to the God behind the person. And so I would encourage all of us to do that. So many times, a lot of these people that fall into this, they're about making a, a following for themselves to begin with. And so they seek to draw people after themselves instead of pointing people to Christ. Wherever you go to church, whether it be here or the Lord calls you out someplace else, make sure that the leadership is pointing to Jesus and not to self. 
not to self. And God help me and the leadership of this church, our eldership, to continue to do that, to be all about Jesus, to point you to Jesus. I had a gentleman come in for some counseling earlier this week and, you know, wanted to know what I had to say about this, that, or the other. And I said, well, let's just look to the scriptures together. Let's find out what God says. Let's establish first that, that you're saved. And, and second, that we acknowledge together that Jesus is the Lord. He's the boss. He's the king. And now we can talk about the specifics. What does he say about that? You know? And we go to God. And that's, that's our duty, friends, believers, fellow priests and priestesses of the Most High God. We point people to Jesus. When someone says, well, how do you feel about this topic, that topic, or the other? You can say, well, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God thinks. So let's try and discover that together. Let's find out what God thinks about this uh, particular thing. And so these guys, God was completely unapproving, obviously, of their behavior. They were corrupt and did not know the Lord. They were extorting from the people, and they were taking advantage of their position and popularity to feed their fleshly desires. Verse 23, so he said to them, why do you do such things? Isn't this the job of all psychologists, is to figure out why people do things? And it comes down to sin nature is what it comes down to. <laughs> and you can say it this way, that way, and the other way, and then, it, and then you always end up with, wow, people are just basically bad, and they have bad tendencies. And when you give them a lot of power and no discipline, without the Lord God, without knowing the Lord, this is the direction they go in and that we go in, I should say, every single time. We need to be born again, receive Christ as Savior, receive Him into our hearts and our lives. We need the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to change us. We need the divine nature to overcome human nature, sin nature. And that is what we need. And this is just you and me that we're reading about, guys, without Jesus Christ, without the Lord, when we slip away from him. And so don't. Stay close to Jesus, right? Hang on tight and don't let go. And he won't let you go either. And so it says, why do you do such things? This is uh, Eli speaking to his children. For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. It was well known. It was widespread. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. They're sinning because they're not coming to the Lord with the right heart and they're not sacrificing in the prescribed manner. And so they who are supposed to help them to do this right are hindering and causing the people to sin. Verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? This question is answered in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, these things write I to you, that you sin not. 
And if anyone sins, you have an advocate or an interceder with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us of our sin and to wash us clean. And we need him to be praying for us. Isn't it comforting to know that Jesus is defending you in heaven to the Father? He's praying for you. Middle of verse 25, nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Whoa. Now there's a heavy scripture. God wanted justice to be done. And he wanted to, the people to see that he is a just God and justice will be done. These guys had hardened their hearts too far. And so their hearts were hardened in the sin that they had committed. They wouldn't listen to their father's exhortation for them not to do this. They rejected God's instruction and the instruction of their father. Proverbs 15:5 says, a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent, is wise. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.